Hi again, I'm Lise Wheel, and this is Pursuit of Justice. Boy, I uh, was riveted back to those that horrible night of July 20th, 2012, by my next guest, uh, Dr. William Reed. And it was that night, that dark night in Aurora. And of course, you know, Aurora is now synonymous, uh, really, with that, with that horrible night in July with the Aurora Theater. And you all know what I'm talking about. You all know I'm talking about the Aurora Theater shooter and James Holmes. And, and, and once I say that, once I, once I utter those words and that name, that, the vicious name of James Holmes, you have that image, right? The Joker image, that, that guy with the crazy Joker smirk and smile and that crazy orange hair. And, and, then, and then those much more horrid images of the body count and the, and that and that that inside the Aurora theater and it was remember guys it was it was a pretty small theater i mean james holmes didn't pick and i and i say pick and i'll get into this with much more with dr reed here in a second but i say pick or choose take your word pick or choose but he didn't pick that theater uh um he didn't pick a, a huge, you know, ginormous theater. He picked a small theater. And I'll get into that with, with Dr. Reed a little bit. But I think he picked it for a reason. He picked a small theater. And I think he picked it, well, we'll talk to Dr. Reed about why he picked such a small theater. But anyway, I covered that, that story, that massacre of 12 people, 12 innocent souls lost that night um, in great depth for Fox News. I was sort of their point person here on the East Coast. Um, we had Claudia Cowan, who was our LA person. She covered it, covered it for uh, in, in Colorado, but I was the point person for the West Coast or the East Coast, and day after day after day covering it. And so I, I kind of knew the intricacies of the um, insanity defense and whether that would work or not, and, and back and forth on the legalisms. But everybody was fascinated so much with the question of why. Why would the seemingly fairly, I mean, not normal necessarily, but kind of guy that, you know, smart guy, went to graduate school and did all this, go out and just shoot up all these people that he didn't even know? I mean, there wasn't like one person in there that he knew and was going after. So anyway, along comes Dr. Reed with this book out called A Dark Night in Aurora, Inside James Holmes and the Colorado Theater Shootings. And Dr. Actually, it's Inside James Holmes and the Colorado Mass Shootings. And the Colorado Mass Shootings. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much for being here. And, and what Dr. Reed's, uh, let me just set you up just a little bit more. Dr. Reed um, was assigned by the judge in the case, not a partisan, not the prosecutor, not the defense, but the judge in this case to assess the, really the mind, um, to figure out whether or not James Holmes met the mental and legal definition, the legal definition of insanity. Because of course the defense had posited this insanity defense to get him out of the death, the death penalty because Colorado, believe it or not, is a death penalty state. And we can talk more about that later. But Dr. Reed, sorry about that long-winded <laughs> introduction for you, but I had to set it up a little bit. Welcome to the Pursuit of Justice. Thank you, Elise. I'm happy to be here and appreciate your having me on. It's, uh, it's a tragedy, but uh, maybe we can bring some clarification uh, with 
the interview in the book. Okay. Well, let me just start it up, um, and I usually sort of, you know, you wind up, interv- wind up interviews and you try to, like, build up and build up a momentum. But I'm going to start up by saying we all want to know why he did this, and you're not going to tell us, are you? I wish I could, and I wish someone could. Uh, the fact is that mass shootings in general, and this one in particular, don't lead us to a reliable why. Uh, We have lots of information, and in the case of James Holmes, we have an enormous amount of information compared to any other mass shooting because he survived and he went to trial uh, after, after some years. But your point's well taken. We don't have the real why that settles people's minds and resolves it uh, for them. Well, you you met with him, and in fact, you met with him for many hours during this. Um, you know, when you were to, to analyze him, and and you did diagnose him with a a a, sky, uh, a schizotypal disorder. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Um, my diagnosis was. A Tell severe personality yeah. disorder uh, known as schizotypal personality, which does have some uh, potentially psychotic symptoms, that is, lack of contact with reality. Some other good psychiatrists diagnosed him as a bit more seriously ill than that with schizophrenia or a schizoaffective disorder. Okay. And with your analysis, it... it it also means that it's, it's, it's a lifetime-long thing, right? There's no cure for it. Yes, there's no cure for any of those major diagnoses. Uh, they are treatable, and some people do very well with treatment. Some people don't. Personality disorders and our personalities in general are with us all our lives, from, uh, generally from adolescence on, uh, and they're just, uh, they're just there. Okay, but... Lots of us have personality disorders, and we don't go out and, you know, kill a bunch of people, of, right? Of course. Everybody's got a personality, and it would be a terrible mistake, a very unfair mistake, to say that uh, people with schizotypal personality or schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia, or any psychiatric disorder uh, are particularly violent or particularly worrisome with one proviso. And that is when substance abuse, various kinds of substance abuse, um, uh, is involved. Was there an indication of that with James Holmes? No, there was no indication at all of substance abuse. Um, He was, maybe he smoked a little grass at one point, uh, but substance abuse was not part of his life nor a part of, uh, of this shooting. Okay, in that diagnosis, you also talked to him about, or he talked to you, I should say, opened up about his idea of human capital concept. What does what did that mean to him? I guess I should put it to that way, because he was the one that brought it up to you. What does what does human capital concept mean to James Holmes? That's a that's a super question, and you put it just right. Um, Holmes had, and uh, as far as I know still has, an idea in his mind that every human being has a certain amount of what he calls human capital. The way he describes it to me and to others, it's just a sort of a, a number. Everybody has a one, has a one of human capital. 
his view was, and as far as I know still is, that if he killed a human being, he would acquire that one or that point. It's very important to note that he didn't think he was going to acquire the person's strength or live any longer or get any special powers. He simply would have, if you will, and these are my words, a higher score. Some people thought that human capital idea and concept was actually psychotic, kind of paranoid, a delusion, if you will. Uh, others, uh, including me, have a little bit of doubt about that because we all have lots of real strong ideas in our minds that we can't prove. Uh, sometimes psychiatrists and psychologists call them overvalued ideas, but they don't necessarily mean uh, that you're psychotic or that you're crazy. But this idea of human capital concept, did that not mean he was crazy? A lot of people believe that, and I think it the way he expressed it and the way it was a big part of his life and his behavior and his tragic killings uh, makes it a a crazy-like thing. The question for the law is, does it interfere with his ability to intend to commit a crime, right. with his ability to know that it's wrong and that people would suffer and things like that? Does he have mental illness? He absolutely has mental illness. Uh, the legal question is, does that interfere with the laws finding him responsible uh, for the crime. Okay, check. Exactly. So check on mental illness. We can all agree on that. His idea sure. of human capital concept that he could, you know, if he kills somebody, then that that one that he kills is somehow checked up to his on his, you know, uh, on his side. That's a that's a that's a plus for him. That is, to my definition, and I, you're the expert, Doc, I'm not, but it seems that's kind of like a mental disease or defect. I got that. But yeah, the legal you, if question. If you really believe it. If you really um, believe it, not faking it. Right. Yeah, and, and no one believes, as far as I know, no, no one involved in the trial believed that he was faking it, and I didn't either. Right. If he really believes it, it is likely one of his symptoms of serious mental illness. And we all agreed the prosecution psychiatrist, the defense psychiatrist, and the two judges psychiatrists all agreed that he was seriously mentally ill. Okay, like he th said things like he hates people or hates mankind, kind of like he hates broccoli. Like he said stuff like that to you. And Okay, okay, so we got that he's got, and, he, and I'm not making this up, right, Doc? I mean, he said stuff like that to you. That would, to me, mean that's a little bit, he's got a m mental disease or defect. But no, lots of people hate mankind. Lots, <laughs> lots of people go around hating people. And uh, one of the, the reason that that hatred word, I guess, is important in this particular case is that in Colorado, a revenge or vengeful act is not eligible for the insanity defense. Um, so I worked pretty hard to see whether it was a situation of I hate mankind and I want to kill them all. Right. Or I hate mankind like I hate broccoli, and I want to avoid them, and I'm uncomfortable around them. And it seems very much like mostly the latter. Okay, okay. And that's where we get into the, the things I was kind of talking about in my intro a little bit, where he picked the small venue, he shot at close range, he, I'm just going to go down a litany of things and you tell me if I'm wrong. He booby-trapped his apartment. 
he had a I had a um uh, a vehicle that was tinted windows on it for quick escape. Um, he did things to prepare his notebook where he he talked about what he was going to do was very vague and kept in a notebook. He did things to disguise or mask what he was about to do. He plotted and planned. He picked the venue where he could kill as many people and they couldn't escape, but he could because he could get out through a back door that he already had sessed out before. Mm -hmm. Right? What did all of those things tell you? All those things uh, tell me, and they told some other people too, uh, that uh, this was not an impulsive act, that he knew what he was doing whether it arose from a mental illness or not, and I think it's clear that it did arise from a mental illness. He knew what he was doing, and he wasn't like this all the time. He could could go to a restaurant. He could go to the King Super and shop for groceries <laughs> without, breathing, uh, without bringing in any of this, um, of this stuff and this planning and the human capital stuff. So he limited that to his wish to kill as many people as he could. That's part of what... Uh, makes it logical for me that the jury would find him responsible. Now, one tiny thing that you said really wasn't okay. uh, part of it. Uh, the tinted windows in his car, they had been tinted for, for months and months. Okay, so um, that had he, nothing to do with it. No planning for that. He, right. he probably had some ideas about escape, but really escape wasn't very high in his mind. He just had a, he had a minor, a uh, small first aid kit, uh, he even left his passport back in the apartment. So his view, his expectation was that he would either be caught or he would be killed. He just wanted to kill as many people as possible before that happened. And that goes to the to the relatively small theater. There were, I think, 400 seats in the theater. Um, nowadays, that's a good-sized theater in most, in most mall cinemas. Um, but that was a controllable size. It was a containable size so that he could cover all the possibilities of control and whether he would be injured or not, preventing himself from being injured, all the things that, that you just mentioned, to make the killing successful. And the reason I'm saying killing with, with such emphasis is that that was the goal. Everything else was secondary. He took some medication and wore, wore a kind of body armor. He took a little, little small bit of pain medication before he went in and wore body armor um, so that he could kill as many people as possible if they rushed him. He wasn't at all sure that he was going to survive. Did, what kind of meds was that? That's a Zoloft that were, was in dispute? <laughs> no. Uh, he took some hydrocodone, uh, just uh, I think one dose of an ordinary uh, low-level narcotic painkiller that you know, millions of people take right. uh, every week. Right. And, and and what I found interesting, and I didn't know this before, I, mean, I didn't know so many things before reading your book, but what when you spoke with him, you asked about the shooting in close range because some of the, some of the you know, I hate to get too graphic here, but the book is graphic in, in your interviews with him. You asked him about shooting in close range, and you asked him about, you know, what did he think about that? What do you think about you know the views from other people? I think I guess mm -hmm. to, accept, to see if he had any empathy, and I think his quote was something like, "I never considered it from their point of view." I either being Boy, shot that's in a close great range. Point. Um, although he said several times to various people that he didn't want to make it personal, and one reason that he didn't do serial shootings, um, shooting people on the street or something, 
uh, was that he didn't. He said he didn't want to make it personal. Um, uh, the. But then yet, but then yet he's shot in close range, and he says, "I never considered it from their point of view." Yes, yes, and that that lack of uh, empathy, that lack of considering the victim's thoughts and feelings and wishes, although he was able to think about a little bit what they might have been, um, that makes it a, a very selfish act. Uh, and we talked about it being selfish. One of the things that he thought might happen is that he might uh, feel less depressed. He wasn't particularly depressed, but he had some depression. He might feel less depressed uh, if he killed all these people. Uh, it didn't work. But that's a very selfish trade. If I kill lots of people, I have a 50-50 chance of feeling better. Well, that goes to the human capital, right? Doesn't that go to the, to the what we were just talking about, the human capital, that, uh, that I'll get more for me if I kill somebody? Isn't that the definition of narcissism? That that I'll well, it, be better it, if it I hurt go to you. The human capital, actually, it, but it's another big piece of it. The human capital was a big piece of it. The but he doesn't get anything for the human capital. He now, according to him, has has a human capital of thirteen instead of one. But that doesn't make him feel any better. He just likes it. he just likes it. Uh, the part about feeling uh, having having his depression perhaps be better is a separate issue, but uh, just as, uh, or perhaps just as illogical, I'm with you there, that it's, right. that it's just as illogical. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems illogical unless you look at it as just completely, and again, you're the doc, I'm not, but from a layman's point of view, as completely narcissistic, which is maybe well, why the jury only took 12 hours to deliberate and find this guy guilty. Well, the, the word narcissistic comes up, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a psychobabble word. Um, uh, and it, it may or may not be accurate. Uh, I never saw him as a particularly narcissistic person because the, uh, and he may be, but the, the, the uh, schizotypal personality was an overwhelming uh, part of, of who he was. There were times when he did do things for other people. He wasn't particularly um, mean to anybody else. Um, he dated a girl. He had friends to an extent for a long time up until just before the shootings. Um, so I'm not sure I'd say narcissistic with it. Well, let's let's talk about other people. Let's talk about, let's go back now a little bit, because you, sure. you talk about Jimmy um, in earlier chapters when he's Jimmy, when he's, you know, the kid, and he's got parents, and um, you 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 talk about that, you know, he has, he's got parents, and he's got relatives. In fact, he's got a He's got some relatives, I guess three, that have psychiatric conditions that, you know, wound them up in psychiatric hospitals. A twin sister that had an obsessive compulsive disorder. Wound, she went well, up. No, it's not, it's, not, it's not a twin sister. It's his, it's his father's sister. His father's sister. Okay, sorry about uh, his father's who, who sister. Had a, uh, has a, a serious illness. Um, your point's well taken. And the grandfather hospitaled and depressed with depression. Yeah, within the family, there is some genetic loading or genetic predisposition right. to um, serious psychiatric illness. His upbringing, his education and things were pretty much uh, reasonable and, and nothing out of the ordinary. As we look back and talk with him, and remember almost all this information comes from him, not from anybody else, he recalls having odd thoughts um, as he became a teenager and when he was a teenager. But by and large, um, although these may have been 
kind of the seeds of where his personality was going. And I hasten to say they were not necessarily the seeds of violence. They were simply the seeds of becoming a person with schizotypal personality. Right. That um, They don't predict that, et cetera. Um, there wasn't there was nothing to write home about uh, about his uh, his upbringing and, and, oh, except but, that he was really smart yeah no yeah maybe not but there there certainly were i mean there certainly had you know i i think anyone would say that three people in the immediate family his grandfather who died when james was 4 was hospitalized for depression this is maybe coming just from james but uh, hospitalized for depression and then died when he was when James was only four. But three people in in the sort of the immediate family hospitalized for psychiatric conditions. That's kind of a lot in your immediate family. Well, the the you know you know we in psychiatry would call that not immediate family but extended family. And you can look at it two ways. If you have a person with one of these diagnoses. It is statistically likely that there will be at least some relatives who have a similar diagnosis. But if you look at it from the other way and you have a person with, let's say, let's say schizophrenia, uh, the likelihood that a grandchild will have schizophrenia is far less. Now, it's a little better than chance. It's a little better than the general population. No question about that. But you'd be surprised how many people can find in their extended family, mother, father, brother, sisters, mother, father, brothers, sisters, right. aunts, uncles, and cousins, uh, two or three uh, uh, folks with diagnosed serious mental illness. It would be a real mistake to tell either them or the rest of the world that, gosh, something terrible is going to happen to you. Oh, oh, I'm not saying, oh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I, I just wonder if that was, you know, because you do... Right in the book, um, you you absolve the parents of any responsibility. You say yeah. that they did they did nothing wrong. There were no warning signs for them to see. Now, in retrospect, they may think there were, but for goodness' sake, the family went to counseling twice in the course of of his growing up. That would that would represent an awful lot of families. Um, do they do they wonder what might have been? Uh, do they search for reasons? Of course they do. Uh, but it's not fair, as a lot of Internet trolls have done, and they really tick me off, uh, to, for example, uh, badmouth uh, either Mr. or Mrs. Holmes or, or put down her very poignant uh, book of, of kind of prayerful poems that she published a little while back, which, by the way, all of the proceeds uh, go to, I believe, a mental health uh, a charity. Oh, I wasn't. I went. I wasn't doing that. So, I, and I don't know about the book. So, her book. Okay. So, I had no yeah. idea about that. So, I, I was just. I'm just saying. I'm just saying um, that that you know, you 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 totally absolve the parents, and I'm I'm not saying that they shouldn't be absolved. I'm just I'm just asking the questions about, you know, where are these things? Because what the coda that you leave the book with, and just to to let our listeners know is that you say we can't answer the question of why, even though you, dear reader, we, we, I know that you're buying this book and wanting to know deeply and reading this book, the answer, why did James Holmes do this? And, of course, I'm reading the book going, yes, Dr. Reed, tell us why, <laughs> knowing, that, knowing that, of course, you know, things aren't that simple. And, and as, as you wisely also say, um, you know, tr tr trials aren't about getting to the truth and, 
Unfortunately, they are often are not. They uh, you read it so beautifully. Trials are not about getting to the truth. They are coming to justice, which is great. But then you write about they are two dimensional uh, resolutions, which is you know true. It's like you know somebody wins and somebody loses. And then this is a complex world. This is a you know and and, and this is often you know these are very complex solutions. So, um, but your coda in your book beyond that is um, is that. Uh, if I get it right and uh, wrong, please, please, you know, correct me. But, but basically that I'm not going to tell you why Holmes did it. We don't know. There are complex reasons. Um, and some of them you, you've, you've told us. Um, but that you want more to go to, to mental health, you know, spotting and training and all that. And I want you to, I want you to make your case for that. And I, I will certainly support that. Um, but I wonder if, 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 if the parents, if all parents aren't part of that in, in looking for things and being aware, right? Well, and I, and I appreciate you giving the opportunity to talk about mental health in general. Yes, I please mean, the, do. The book, I, I think most of the book is, is a story and a clarification. And, and uh, as you pointed out, boy, I wish I knew the why. I'd be a wealthy man and much more respected than whatever I have now. Um, but the... Uh, the parents uh, would, would you say that again I'm sorry I just lost it no no that's okay you said that that uh, I said that the um, your coda to the book is about mental health training and and spotting mental health issues and and putting more money in, more money obviously into uh, into mental health training and looking for mental health um, issues but isn't that also part of what parent we as parents should be doing as well not just James Holmes parents but but all parents. I would love it if all parents would pay a lot more attention to their kids, if at least one parent would be home with the child for the first 12 years of their lives, all those good things. I would love that. And your point uh, that the important thing separate from homes and the case is one that better mental health care and better mental health access and recognition of problems is super important. It won't solve the problem of mass killings. It just won't. But it would be the, a really good thing and a humane thing and a human thing to do for millions and millions of people in North America alone. Um, the Can we spot folks? Yeah. Uh, can we, can no, we stop no. folks? <laughs> we, we, we really can't. Now, can we spot risk in some people? Absolutely. And psychiatrists and psychologists need to get very good, and some of them are very good, at spotting risk for things like uh, suicide or violence or, or accidents at spotting that kind of risk. Uh, but darn it, we just don't have the, the, uh, the crystal ball. Well, even, even when a psychiatrist does spot a risk, though, the laws are such, aren't they? And again, again correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not that familiar with the laws here, but aren't the laws pretty generically that unless a psychiatrist sees that a, a, some, a client comes in and says, I'm going to harm uh, you know, Josephine at 6 o'clock tomorrow night with a knife, the psychiatrist really can't do much, right? It's got to be very you, specific. You have a good point. If, if the only thing, uh, if the main thing we want shrinks to do is lock people up, um, we're, uh, the possibilities for committing them to a psychiatric facility, for example, are very narrow. And that's because of civil rights things. And I think, by the way, that that pendulum has swung a little too far. Mm -hmm. I would like to see a situation, and some of us are working toward it, 
in which psychiatrists and psychologists and psychiatric hospitals, et cetera, can shepherd people who really need care and protection for themselves and others toward some sort of humane and therapeutic containment. But you're absolutely right um, that in order to take away a person's right to run around loose, that is to put them in a locked facility, we have to show some sort of imminent danger, right. imminent risk, and that's an issue. Now, there are other things that uh, mental health professionals can do and other things that, uh, that school professionals and parents, et cetera, can do. For example, encouraging uh, counseling and therapy, uh, considering medication, uh, simply understanding the problem and being able to monitor it once you recognize it. Um, so those are all things short of actually locking people up. Holmes knew that he uh, couldn't be locked up if he didn't say certain things to his psychiatrist. Uh -huh. The psychiatrist knew that too, and they did the best they could. Uh, but you're, you're quite right in this situation. And without considering the tragedy, which maybe is hard not to consider, that's not a bad situation. We would be locking up tens of thousands of people on the chance that maybe one of them is going to kill somebody. So what it's you're saying... Really, it's a really dicey problem. So what you're saying is Holmes was playing a little dance with his psychiatrist. He was smart enough to play that little dance. He was smart enough to play it. Let me put it in a little bit different way. Um, he, he was smart enough to play it and was playing it, but let me suggest to you that a part of him did not want to do these killings. A part of him did want to do the killings and saw it as his mission. The part of him that really wanted to do them... Won out. O overwhelmed, yes, exactly, won out. And this is true of, of a great many uh, patients and, and clients for therapists and counselors. Part of us wants to get better. Part of us doesn't want to get better. Part of us wants to take the chance on doing something therapeutic. Part of us is scared to death to take the chance on doing something therapeutic. So... Some of what we're talking about is quite conscious in Holmes and in other people. Other things that we're talking about is hidden even from Holmes as he's, as he's going to his, to his psychiatrist. That is so fascinating. Um, just one final question. Uh, the, the Parkland shooting, they went to the police went to his home 49 times and still obviously didn't stop that. What do you think of that? Um, I, I've got a, a hard a hard rule. I just don't comment on oh. stuff when I don't okay. have the okay. information of facts. Okay. And I, I appreciate the, the interest in everything. Um, generic things about shooters and mass okay. shooters okay. Are, are fair game. Okay. May I? Yes. May I go into a couple of other or one other topic that you brought up? Of to course, see if it's of course, for you? of course. Yes, thank you. Okay, you mentioned Holmes' uh, bizarre look. Yes. The Joker. Yes. Things like that. The fact is, he didn't look bizarre. He just didn't. Uh, his hair was nice. dyed orange or orange-red yes. months before this. Right. Uh, or weeks at least, but probably months. And his friend's hair was dyed blue. So that didn't have to do, as far as anybody knows and as far as he says, with anything Batman or anything Joker. When he went to the theater, he was wearing ordinary clothes, he walked through the lobby, got his ticket. He did have a cap pulled down over his over his head, but it was a, a, a pretty normal cap. Then when he went outside, uh, after he went into the main auditorium, to the auditorium, he pulled on his body armor, 
which was not remotely related to anything Batman or Joker. It was simply uh, police or military-style body armor with weapons. The idea or the rumor that he is the, quote, Batman killer, um, it, it just, the evidence is not there. He chose the movie, and I'm quite convinced of this from a lot of viewpoints. He chose the movie mm -hmm. because it was a midnight premiere. It was going to be packed. Mm -hmm. It was at a time when children would be unlikely to be there, although, as you know, there were some children there uh, because it was midnight and it wasn't a G-rated movie. Um, so there are a lot of misunderstandings about this, and the Batman deal is one of them. And his pupils in both the mugshot, both the, both the mugshot taken right after, and then and then before the trial with that little quote unquote smirk, the pupils were normal in both. Yes, uh, your point's well taken. Uh, there was for some reason an abnormality in his pupils that nobody's been able to figure out uh, that we see sometimes in him and in photographs, but the smirk that folks. Uh, kind of see or imagine that they see. Um, my view of that, having spent a lot of time with him and looked at dozen, or hundreds of photographs of him and, and video of him, is that that was kind of a chance thing with the camera. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if somebody cherry-picks photographs uh, of you or I um, and wants to show something in a still photograph, they can pretty much show that we look crazy or beautiful or serious or something else. Mm -hmm. Now, the mugshot uh, is not a randomly chosen photograph, but I truly believe that he is not smirking with some, uh, with some gotcha feeling. I, I, I just, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tempting rumor. It's nice to talk about. You see it all over the web. Um, and I guess it makes for more exciting reading, which, which kind of means my book is a little less exciting than you might think. Uh, but that, that's, uh, that's my finding anyway. Well, Dr. Reed, I found your book, A Dark Night in Aurora, plenty of exciting to read. I found it fascinating. Again, as I said, I covered it pretty extensively at the time. Um, for years, I covered it. Um, and this was the first time that I felt like I was getting really inside the case, um, as opposed to just outside from a reporter standpoint and just as close inside to James Holmes's brain, which is not really a fun place that I want to be, but but I'm glad you were there because I'm glad as a good doctor that you were there. And I'm so appreciated that you were, you know, you were again, um, guys, uh, Dr. Reed was appointed by the court. So he was nonpartisan. He was not defense or prosecution, um, and he was so that that makes this you know his findings to me even more believable. Um, so I really appreciate you. Where are we finding you today, Doctor Reed? Are you uh, are you vacationing, or, or are you are you in your I'm, are you uh, studying I'm in somewhere? I'm in Horseshoe Bay, Texas. Oh, very nice, Horseshoe Bay, Texas. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It's, well, it's a little warm, but otherwise, this place is better than we deserve. Well, it's about 102 here in New York, in New York City. Oh, <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed talking with you. I think you do a wonderful interview and podcast, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, well, thank you so much for writing a really great book and, and very, very interesting, and I, I very much recommend it.